It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and joining me right now is the newly elected mayor of St. Louis, Missouri, and the very first black woman to be elected as mayor of St. Louis, Tashara Jones. Tashara, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you. Good to good to hear from you, Zelina. How are you? Yes. You know, I mean, a lot has happened over the course of this, what I call the pandemic year. Um, and I, I'm just grateful every day that I'm still here. My family is still here. Um, and although this moment in history is painful um, in so many ways, I'm I'm also... I feel privileged to sort of be a witness to it um, also and, and to have even a platform to to have conversations about what we're all living through to try to process some of it. So I want to start with sort of the moment we're in because it's so relevant, not just uh, to your role as mayor of St. Louis, which, you know, as we know, um, because of uh, recent history um, close to Ferguson, Missouri, um, we saw what happened uh, in terms of the protests and Black Lives Matter organizing um, after the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Um, we and that goes all the way up to when we saw the gun wielding uh, folks, uh, you know, wave their guns at Black Lives Matter protesters in St. Louis. And then they appeared at the Republican mm-hmm. convention. So there's been a lot happening right in your neck of the woods. What is right, your sense right. sense of of where we are in this moment? I mean, what is it like in St. Louis when all of this is unfolding in Minnesota? Because, you know, it's it's still very recent history for, for your area as well. Uh, yes, I think that uh, what's going on in Minnesota, um, in particular with uh, the trial of George Floyd and the killing of Dante Wright, uh, it just uh, opens up a, a wound that uh, is trying to heal in St. Louis and, and really hasn't healed, uh, correctly. You know, we still, uh, haven't moved forward in a significant way, uh, after the killing of Mike Brown. And I think that, uh, last, last year's protest over George Floyd and Breonna Taylor really awakened, um, our region, uh, to, uh, to shift in, in our, our leadership. I think we saw, the reelection of our circuit attorney, who was the first black woman to be circuit attorney. We saw the election of our first black congresswoman from the state of Missouri, Corey Bush. Uh, and then my race, I, I was actually in that race running for treasurer for reelection at the time. And, um, and we shared a moment after our victories and just kind of declared, you know, black, black girl magic has come to St. Louis. And mm-hmm. so we're going to continue, continue that shift. I mean, and you're seeing that, right? I mean, I think it's it's post-2020 uh, elections. You know, you have Corey Bush um, now in the Congress as an additional member of sort of the, the squad uh, um, that is just continues to grow. And you're, you're seeing, you know, people uh, from your area, but also in other parts of the country who are, are more progressive and more outspoken on these particular issues, um, you know, involved in... Um, making decisions, hopefully, 
on these issues. Um, one of the things you said after your race, which resonated with me, is that we can't ignore race anymore. Race is central to everything. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that comes up a lot is, you know, if you're talking to maybe a group of white colleagues or um, maybe a mixed race group, sometimes people will say things like, well, let's put let's take race out of it. Like, it's not about race. Let's put race to the side for a minute. And I'm always like, I mean, I can't take it off. Like, it, 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 I am black. <laughs> uh, my right, race right. is a, intrinsically a part of. Exactly. Facts, right? I, you can't take race out of it. So what does it look like to sort of view every issue um, and sort of the world through the lens of somebody who lives and exists as a black woman? In, in America at this time? I mean, what is, how does that change the way you, you govern and you will govern the city of St. Louis? Well, I'm governed that way as treasurer for the last eight years. I have developed programs that, um, while they do lift all boats in the tide, there are programs that specifically have uh, impacted African-Americans and other marginalized communities uh, through, through financial empowerment, right? Uh, because, African-Americans are more likely to be unbanked or underbanked. Um, our, the, the racial wealth gap is, you know, 10 times uh, what the average black family makes. And, and if you're looking at the recent info from the Boston Fed, um, the, uh, the wealth of black families in, um, in Boston is $8. So, how, so, you know, this is an issue that's critical to our survival and, and critical to our, our, uh, our future. Uh, And we cannot ignore race as a part of why black families haven't been able to build wealth over these past generations, because uh, race has been the center of several policies to keep us from building wealth. So we have to talk about it and we have to center it in all of our decisions. It's so true because, I, I mean, the rising tide lifts all boats. I mean, even until recently, that was sort of a refrain that, you know, even I was like, okay, that sounds good. At least my boat's going to get get some help. Um, But I think that we've seen, particularly through the Trump era and the pandemic, which no one saw coming. Well, maybe all of the scientists who study these things did. Um, But most of us, we had, we were living our life on March 1st as if it was a regular, it's going to be a regular year, right? I know I remember celebrating, you know, 2020 New Year's. um, And I was just like, so excited about what the new year would bring, like everyone else was. And then all of a sudden, it was like, nope, our whole lives have changed. And it, so it, it gives us all sort of a moment to reflect on the world we're living in and how it's set up and whether or not it's set up the right way. And I think what we've seen is that there are a lot of areas in which we can improve, uh, understatement of mm-hmm. the year. Um, you know, when you think about the role of the mayor um, in a city like St. Louis, I mean, one of the things that I guess folks could have learned from like, I don't know, watching Blue Bloods, which I recommend watching with a more critical eye than probably most people do. But, um, <laughs> you know, the mayor has a lot of um, influence and sway over the police department, particularly particularly in the city of St. Louis. Um, so in terms of your role as the mayor, I mean, how does that relationship um, go with sort of this open conversation happening about race and policing and bias? Because, I mean, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I was like, I remember back... Uh, at the beginning of, you know, Bill de Blasio's administration in New York City, where, where I where I normally live when we're not in pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, his honest 
you know, assessment of the killing after the killing of Eric Garner was, you know, this is wrong. Uh, it could have been my son. Um, I have a, I have a black son. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that sort of destroyed his relationship with the police department. Um, even though, you know, what he said wasn't really, you know, that harsh. It was just very honest and it it was just very honest and genuine. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you walk that line between, um, making sure the police department is accountable and being held accountable, but also making sure that, you know, you have a working relationship, um, with law enforcement. Well, I have heard from many uh, law enforcement professionals um, as I was running, and a lot of them supported the things that were in my platform, in particular, uh, transforming how we respond to incidents with different types of professionals, like mental health counselors and and substance abuse counselors, because our officers are exhausted, and they, they tell me that they are not equipped to handle a lot of the situations that they respond to. We've done research in one of our patrol districts that said up to 50% of calls can be answered by someone other than police. So uh, putting different types of professionals within the police department frees up officers to do the work that they were trained to do. And also, you know, I come at this being a single mom as well. My son is the most adorable 13-year-old in the country. Mm -hmm. And... And he and I were having a discussion about what the mayor does. And I told him, you know, mommy is going to be over the police. And he said, well, that means I'll be safe. And it Mm. hit me like a ton of bricks that, you know, he feels like his mother has to become mayor in order for him to feel safe uh, with interactions with police officers. And what are the chances of our other children having that that same situation? It's like one in a million. Right, right. So I felt like it was my duty uh, not only to continue to run because I hadn't decided whether or not I was going to run again, um, but that that became my North Star. Like, how do we transform public safety so our children feel safe so they can be children and explore and make mistakes and not fear losing their lives or or having a bad encounter with law enforcement? It's so true because I feel like I I think about what young people must be watching in this moment because I know as a grown adult when I'm watching these videos I and I and I know it's changed the way that I even my nervous system responds to the sight of a police officer like I didn't used Mm -hmm. to sort of you know my heart would start you know my heart starts racing I get a little bit nervous I'm Mm -hmm. like okay breathe you know, now now that I'm in Virginia, I'm like smile and wave because that's what people do in the South. You got to wave at everybody. <laughs> I'm from Brooklyn. We don't do that. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we wave. Um, got to be nice and smile. Um, and, you know, but I still have that like tinge of nervousness um, because I'm watching all these videos. I see people that look like me and my family being brutalized by the police. And it's not it doesn't have anything to do with who they are. It has to do with the, the policing part of it and what my body looks like and what the police officer sees when they look at me. Um, and and that part is is hard as an adult to process. How do you feel like young people, I mean, particularly in, in the St. Louis area, because Michael Brown was young. Many of the protesters right. that were out protesting um, in Ferguson, Missouri, were young, young people, very young people, middle school, high school, mm-hmm. um, you know, and yet the police tear gas them, uh, mm-hmm. you know, peaceful protesters there. I mean, the trauma associated with that, along with, 
the fact that nothing changed after Michael Brown. We're just still watching videos. I mean, that was one of the cases where there wasn't video, unfortunately. And so they could make up a story as to what had transpired, whether it be true, true or not true. We would never know. Um, How do you feel like young people are processing this moment in in the St. Louis area? And and how do you hope to, um, you know, try to make the the 13-year-olds of the world, the black children, feel safe, even if they don't have the benefit of having a mom as the mayor who oversees the police? Right, right. Um, you know, I, I think our kids are traumatized and, and anxious. Um, and and because we've had other instances in, in the city of St. Louis um, mm-hmm. with protesters not being treated fairly in their and their rights uh, violated. Uh, we are in the middle of a case right now where we've had to settle um, with an uh, undercover officer who was beat by his fellow officers um, in the middle of a protest. Uh, so, you know, our, our kids are, are rightfully anxious, but I think as mayor, um, I, 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 because I started programs in our schools as treasurer um, for college savings, I see all of the kids in our schools as all of my babies. Mm-hmm. And and so I feel like not only am I mayor, but I'm, you know, mom in charge. Right. And so it is up to me to uh, to to make a better environment for our children, because, you know, I know this sounds really corny, but just like Donnie Hathaway says, they are our future. Yes. And if we don't invest in them now, we will be paying for them later. So how can we make good investments in our children's futures in order for them to not just survive, but to thrive? It's so it's so true because, you know, I feel like I, I mean I guess people, yeah, I'm obsessed with the generation um, that's behind me, which is the Gen Zs. I'm an old millennial, um, and so <laughs> I, you know, I love sort of the creativity and um, really the worldview of the the younger generations because they're more inclusive, they're more uh, open. They're, they're, I mean, they're so creative. I mean, have you been on TikTok? It's crazy what they do with editing yes. on TikTok. It is <laughs> insane. These 13 year olds, they need to work for George Lucas. Um, but I just feel like, you know, these, these younger generations, um, they're, they're not patient, I, I suppose, in the same way that maybe even our parents were, were, um, and not to say that our parents were, were super patient either, but I feel like young people don't want to wait, right? They don't. They don't want to. They don't. They don't want to watch more of these videos. They don't. We we don't want no. more more of these videos. We don't want more mass shootings. We we want healthcare. <laughs> I mean, there's there's sort of fundamentals mm-hmm. that I feel like you know the younger generations totally accept. And I actually see you as a part of sort of a new younger generation of elected official that uses your lived your lived experiences, your identity. Um, as as part of the way you govern, do you think that you know public policy is improved when the person in a position of power, you know, has those lived experiences, you know, that helps them relate to the communities they're serving? I feel like you you know the white uh, you know male leadership model. There are a lot of uh, shortcomings in that setup. In that setup. Yeah, absolutely. I think lived experience is is paramount nowadays um, with your ability to lead uh, because you're you're leading from a place where you know how your policy decisions are going to affect uh, people, you know, several iterations downstream. Right. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, laws on the on the surface may seem good, but then you look at, you know, well, you know, it may have this unintended consequence because I did X, Y, and Z. And I've been in the legislature for two terms and, and, and know that and have relationships there. And so I've seen the process at the state level as well as the local level, which, again, gives me a lived experience being coming into this office, knowing where the lines of demarcation are between state, federal, and local policy. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, experience does matter um, when it comes to, uh, to to leading cities, and especially majority minority cities. You know, one of the questions that came up during our debate or with my uh, opponent, who was a white woman, um, was, "Do you have? Uh, do you think that?" a uh, white person can lead a majority minority city. And my answer was, no, I don't, because uh, I believe that black people have certain lived experiences that white people just don't have. And it's not trying to be insulting. It's just the truth. Exactly. It is so true. I I, I did a little rant on my my Peacock show um, the other day about this because I found it so hilarious that, you know, the Fox News folks of the world um, we're so upset about this comment. I was, yes, I, I was lived experience. White people do not have the lived experiences of black people. That is just a fact. That is not, there's not controversial right. to say that. I don't have the lived experiences, right. um, you know, of a, a white male lacrosse player. I don't know. Like I, that's not my lived experience. Right. right? So I could not be an expert exactly. in, in, in policies related to that because that is not my experience. But I think the idea that, you know, white, people in positions of power can understand every experience from this objective sober point of view i mean that is a lie that's the lie that's been sold to us this whole time um you know to sort of you know get us to be like oh this is how it's supposed to be this is how it's supposed to look white men are supposed to be in charge that is that's how it's always been like i'm you know i i was kind of one of those children that ask many questions and I did I just don't take I don't accept things that don't make sense to me (laughs) like I don't accept things that don't seem right I ask questions I want to know why things are the way they are and the answer can't be well that's just how it's always been like that's not acceptable to me I believe in evolution I believe that things can improve and become better um through action and change in terms of you know where the country is right now we're in a really different place than we were just a couple of months ago because we have a new administration we have um you know a congress with a senate majority that's democratic we have mayors like yourself that are elected in these very important american cities um in the last uh, i guess we only have a few seconds left actually um but are you optimistic that you know your tenure as mayor is going to have uh, make a meaningful difference um, in in sort of the the way things are um, and changing them um, so that people aren't killed by the police who look like you and I and our family members so frequently that, you know, we have access to the things that we need to be able to survive, thrive, not just survive. Yes, I'm, I'm absolutely optimistic because I'm also walking in uh, with an unprecedented opportunity of having over half a, mil- half a billion dollars in federal aid on its way to our city in, uh, in American Recovery Act funds. Mm. Um, and so my finance background tells me, okay, how can we make great investments with this money to 
make sure that we get returns on it for many years to come. And so that is the North Star. Definitely, we will take care of people in direct relief. But how do we make point in investments where the city continues to thrive long after this money is gone? Yeah, it's a really, really important uh, point. Thank you so much, Mayor Jones. Tashara Jones is the newly elected mayor of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, Historic first black woman to be the mayor. It's incredibly cool. Great to chat with you. Thank you so much and please stay safe. Thank you for having me. Great to chat with you as well. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.